Well, thanks to Paul, uh, one of our elders, for leading us in prayer today. Appreciate that so much. And everyone who's helped out, whether it's welcome team or getting the kids' stuff ready or our wonderful tech team, Samuel and his family, it's great when we all kind of pitch in and, and offer what God has given to us so that we can build up the body. So thanks so much for your participation. Uh, we are working through the Apostles' Creed, and next Sunday... Now, this might be dangerous because people might not show up. But next Sunday, we're going to try and say it all together uh, without the words on the screen. We'll see how that goes. No cheating at home. We might not be able to see you, but God sees you. So there's no cheating. Anyway, so this week, if you want to brush up on the Apostles' Creed, go ahead and do that. If you need kind of the version that we're using, uh, let us know. And this is just kind of wrap up our our, uh, sermon series for the summer. Um. But this particular message today, I realized as I was looking through what I was hoping to say this morning, what I feel God has laid in my heart, uh, that there's three stories, real life stories that I'm going to be sharing. And each one of these stories is pretty dark. Uh, We're going to be talking about forgiveness. But whenever you talk about forgiveness, you have to bring up the topic of sin. And be frankly, sin is ugly. It's it's dark. Uh, it, It corrupts and it destroys. And uh, we're going to see that in some of the stories. But I just want to give you kind of advance warning that if these stories disturb you and you need someone to talk to after that, uh, feel free to reach out to myself or one of the elders and we can talk you through that. But I think they're important to hear because we have to see the beauty of forgiveness against a dark background sometimes. So now everybody's like, oh, I'm going to listen to this one, right? Well, let's start with the uh, verses in Scripture found in 1 John chapter 1. And uh, starting at verse 5, and reading to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And God bless that reading of his scripture to us. Oh, I think we've learned, I hope, to value the Apostles' Creed a little bit as we've gone through this series. Maybe it was unfamiliar to you when we started, and now you're going to have another look at it. Uh, We've learned that it gives a framework of core belief. So that as we gather together, no matter our background, no matter where we come from, we can say, these things we believe, these things we hold on to. And there's lots of other things that we can have dialogue and discussion and even disagreement about, but we hold these core truths. It's also helpful as a defense of the gospel. Um, The the Apostles' Creed is very gospel-oriented. It talks about sin and forgiveness, about the work of Jesus, about the work of the Trinity, in all of that. And so we see it as a defense of the gospel. 
It's also used as basic instruction for new believers. So if you know someone in your family or a friend or a neighbor or coworker, and you, you're wondering, how do I start? How do I work through something? They've just become a believer in Jesus. Where do we start? Pick up the creed, start with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's a great place to start and work through it with them. Um, so it offers that to us as well. But it also offers protection against false teaching. So the, all these things, even though the creed is not our authority, it gives us a framework for thinking and it becomes very helpful. Well, near the end of the Apostles' Creed is a very simple statement. And the statement is this. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's good, right? I mean, who doesn't? In the sense, we could just end the sermon there. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Yay, let's all go home. But there's a little bit more to it than that. The statement says at least two basic things, right? It says, first of all, that we have sinned that all have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. That's the first basic assumption in this statement. Like it says in 1 John, if you say you're without sin, you're deceiving yourselves. You're fooling yourself if you say that you're without sin. But then the second basic thing it's saying is this. Forgiveness is available. That's the gospel, right? Forgiveness is available. In 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the basic summary of the statement. We are sinners. God has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. Amen. Right? That's the great, great good news. So at the core, when we talk about sin, what we have to understand about it is that whether it's falling short of God's standard or intentionally rebelling against it, that sin is an offense against God. I want you to think about that for a minute, that regardless of whether, you know, our greed or our prejudice or our violence or our unfaithfulness impacts another person, ultimately our sin is against God. You ever thought of it that way? That's, that's the biblical response to sin, that, that sin is not just this way. It's not just the harm we do to one another. It's not just the harm we do to our environment or to our community or to our world, but ultimately Sin is against God. That's what David says. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Even though David committed offenses against all kinds of people. But he recognized that ultimately at the core, sin is something that is against God. That's why we need to come to God to ask for forgiveness, to confess our sins. Because ultimately, no matter what we've done, it's against his standard. Whether it's intentionally by rebelling against the standard or by omission, by not living up to that standard. That's what we're dealing with when we talk about it. So that's why we seek forgiveness from God. But we still have to face the consequences of what we've done to one another. And that's where it gets tricky when we begin to talk about forgiveness. That's where it gets difficult. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's why I don't like preaching this sermon. (laughs) Because it's tough. It's wonderful to go to God for forgiveness. I, I think we can think of it in a, in a mystical or a spiritual or, or going to a, a benevolent deity seems easy in a lot of ways. But to actually go to your neighbor, to the person sitting beside you in the pew, to a family member, and either seek forgiveness or offer forgiveness, that's a whole other story. Do you feel the weight of that a little bit? Do you feel the importance of 
I believe in the forgiveness of sins, but do we? Do we actually? It's, it's great to say I believe in the forgiveness of sins when it's me being forgiven by God, or even if when it's me being forgiven by someone else. When I mess up and spend too much money and my wife says, where's that receipt? And I ask for forgiveness. That's a pretty benign example. Uh, but those kind of things, it's great to receive forgiveness when it's about me. But what about when we need to offer it to someone else that we don't particularly feel love for or even like? or maybe even respect, that's when this question, do we actually believe in the forgiveness of sins? So this is where forgiveness is difficult and even sometimes problematic. Here's the first story. On June 17th, 2015, a young man by the name of Dylan Roof went into Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina. Some of you will know the story. And he killed nine people during a Bible study, and it's horrific. I'm not gonna go into all the details of that, but it's shocking, it's horrific. It's unthinkable what he did. He he did it in the name of neo-Nazism and all kinds of things. It was shocking. But also shocking was the response from the community in that congregation. Because very soon after that event, they got together and as a community, they publicly, declared forgiveness for Dylan Roof. How? Is that even wise? How is that possible? One of the ladies who lost her mom said this, I will never talk with her again, speaking of her mom. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. But I forgive you. How is that possible? Well, lots of people saw that and saw that public display and were quite moved by it and respected it. But there's a whole other group that said, stop doing that. Stop forgiving the racist. Stop forgiving the abusers. Stop forgiving those people because if when we forgive, we're only perpetuating the cycle of violence and attacks and abuse. We're just letting them off the hook. Stop forgiving them. So what is it? (laughs) Do we forgive or does forgiveness actually perpetuate Cycles of violence and abuse. Another story. April 28th, 1999. Actually, let's do this one first. On October 2nd, 2006, um, a shooting occurred at the West Nickel Mine School. Does anybody remember this one? It was an Amish school. And one person went in to this one-room schoolhouse, and he shot eight out of ten girls, aged six to 13. Just horrific even to say those things. He killed five of them, and then he turned the gun on himself. The emphasis on forgiveness and reconciliation in that Amish community, their response was widely discussed in the national media because it was so strange to most people. On the very day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some of the young relatives not to hate the killer saying, we must not think evil of this man. Can you imagine that? Another Amish father noted, uh, this man, the shooter, had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. Another person said, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. 
And that's exactly what they did. Even on the day when it happened, a group of them went over to the shooter's widow, now widow, and comforted her. There was a story of some of the Amish men actually surrounding the shooter's father and held him for an hour while he sobbed. That was their act of forgiveness. In the end, they actually, 30 of them went to the shooter's funeral and they invited the widow to come to the funeral of the girls, which they normally don't invite outsiders at all because of forgiveness. They actually set up a fund to help the widow of the man who killed their children. I don't know. I don't know if I would be there. I don't know. It must be an extra dose of God's grace in order to do that. But here's the question. Does the rush to forgiveness simply excuse the offender? Does it let them off the hook? Does it make light of the situation? Does it interrupt the grieving process? Is it really the right thing to do? So we have to look at forgiveness in the Bible. And I just want to say briefly three important truths about forgiveness as we find in Scripture. The first one is this. Forgiveness does not excuse the offender. Forgiveness does not let the offender off the hook. We could look at lots of stories for this. Uh, one of my favorite is Nicodemus, man up in the tree. And uh, Jesus went to Nicodemus' house and he said, Today salvation has come to this house. Yay. Nicodemus was a tax collector and he had cheated a lot of people. Was Zacchaeus. Thanks. Nicodemus was another man in the Bible. They're all in the Bible. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a short man, right? And Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector and he had cheated a lot of people out of their wealth. After receiving their forgiveness from Jesus, what did he do? He just rubbed his hands and says, all good? I'm fine? No, he said, I'm going to pay this back even more than I took. There was a, an understanding of a moral consequence, even though he had been forgiven. Or we think of the woman caught in adultery. And after she was freed from Jesus, when he said, who's, who's standing around to accuse you? Who's condemning you? Well, neither do I condemn you, but what? Go and sin no more. Don't continue that cycle of sin. So forgiveness was actually meant to break the cycle of sin. That's what it's meant to do. Think of Moses in the Old Testament. And there's an incident with Moses and his stick and a rock. And he did something that really offended God. And even though I believe Moses was forgiven because he's talked about in the New Testament in that light, he still was not permitted to enter the promised land. There were still consequences for his actions. We could go on and think about David. Think of all the stuff that he did. And even though he was repentant and received forgiveness from God, and yet he still lost his son, he was still not allowed to build the temple, he still faced consequences for his actions. So forgiveness does not excuse the offender. When you think about the story of Dylan Roof, he is in prison, rightly so. When we think of the story of the, the man who, who uh, killed the Amish girls, that Amish man said, he is standing before a just God. There are still consequences to those actions, even though, so what does forgiveness mean? Well, forgiveness doesn't release the offender from legal or practical consequences, but rather forgiveness says this, I will not personally seek revenge. I will not personally hold this against you for my own sanity, mostly, but also because God calls me to release this to him, to leave room 
for God's justice, for God's vengeance, for God to take action. I am going to give up my right, so to speak, to seek retribution for the offense you've committed against me. But you are going to have to face the justice system, the legal system, or God himself. I'm going to hand you over there. So forgiveness does not excuse the offender. The second thing is this. Forgiveness is a practice, not a feeling. I, I, sometimes we wait for the feeling to come. I, I don't feel like forgiving. You see that with kids all the time, right? When you're trying to get them just to make up and shake hands, and it's just too soon. And there's these awkward hugs because they're just trying to appease mom and dad and just get them, you know, move on with life. Uh, sometimes we just don't feel like it. But forgiveness is a practice, not a feeling. Jesus gave some advice in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Forgiveness and seeking forgiveness is an action. It's a process. It's a practice. It's not just a feeling and a simple quiet prayer in your heart. There's a practical element to forgiveness. Another time Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 18, and this is putting the shoe on the other foot. The first time is, you know, if you know that you've offended someone, go set it right. But this one is this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take two or one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, hand them over to the law. You know, it's out of your hands. What do you hear in that? In this process of reconciliation, which includes forgiveness, there's, there's a procedure, there's a process, there's actions. If you're an, the offender, seek reconciliation. If you're the offended, seek reconciliation. As much as it's possible, live at peace with all people. That's a key word, isn't it? As much as it is possible, as much as it lies within you. But sometimes there's not a willingness on the other party to either offer or seek reconciliation, and you have to cut them loose. But you have a responsibility, and I have a responsibility to seek forgiveness and reconciliation as much as it is possible, as much as it lies within us. So forgiveness is a practice, and I think we see this in the story of the Amish community, don't we? They didn't just stand up and say, we forgive that person. They took practical steps above and beyond what I ever could have imagined because forgiveness for them was a practice, not just some words. And I think we have to apply that in multiple things that we're facing individually, but as a culture as well, to put practice to forgiveness. Okay, the third thing is this. I also believe that forgiveness must be received before it is given. We have to have the experience of forgiveness ourselves. We have to understand it and the power of it and how we've been transformed by forgiveness if we ever hope to offer it to someone else. In Luke chapter 7, there's an interesting story about a sinful woman. That's what she's called. And she comes to wash the feet of Jesus. And all the people around the table are horrified. How could you possibly let this woman touch you? If you knew who she was, you wouldn't be letting her touch you because now that she's touched you, you are unclean as well because of her sins, right? 
And what does Jesus say to the crowd? Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. If we don't understand the impact of God's forgiveness in our lives, how can we begin to offer it to others? And I think that's the secret for forgiveness. Like, I wonder to myself as I preach this sermon, even as I stand here today, how can I be better at the practice of forgiveness? Well, we don't get better by trying harder. We actually get better by understanding God's forgiveness of us. Better. So we need to understand our own sin. We need to understand our own sin and the forgiveness that we've received from God. That it wasn't just a mild offense. And he's forgiven us completely. But then we also need to begin to reflect more on the cross of Jesus. We need to reflect on that more. We need to focus on the cross. Uh, Timothy Keller, a pastor and preacher, he said this. In the cross, God satisfied both justice and love. God was so just and desirous to judge sin that Jesus had to die. But he was so loving and desirous of our salvation that Jesus was glad to die. And as we begin to understand the cross and our place in that sacrifice, maybe then we'll be able to tap into the ability to work through a process of forgiveness for others. Well, the last story is this. On April 28th, 1999, not all of you will remember this, I know, some of you. April 28th, 1999, 14-year-old student walked into W.R. Myers School in Tabor, Alberta. And he went into that high school and opened fire with a sawn-off 22 caliber rifle and killed Jason Lang, 17-year-old student in that school. Jason's father was, is the Reverend Dale Lang. And I've heard him speak on a number of occasions. And I've actually been just, <laughs> just unbelievably moved by the story that he shares. I don't know what I would do in that situation. If, if I got the call that my daughter, one of my daughters, had been killed at school, I don't know how I'd react. I, I don't think any of us can, can predict that. But somehow, the Reverend Dale Lang reacted very quickly with forgiveness. And a forgiveness that has lasted all of these years. This is what he said. He said, our faith allowed us to forgive this young man as early on as the memorial service for our son, which was about five days after the shooting. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay or acceptable. It's saying that I'm choosing to let go of this for my own health and to move on in life. The problem will be, if you can't reach that place of forgiveness, then you're going to get stuck in that place of anger and bitterness. That's what the Reverend Lang said. So when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, do we? Do I? I believe it when I go to God, I'm going to trust him and we should. But do I believe it in the sense that I'm willing to practice it and extend that forgiveness to others? One of my favorite stories in the Bible, just because it's, to me, it's kind of humorous. I don't know if Jesus did a lot of humor, but sometimes I think it's in there. And it's the story of the two men that, that were forgiven, right? And the one guy is let out of jail and uh, he's forgiven a certain sum of, of money. But as soon as he bounces out of jail, he goes and he finds the one guy that owes him a buck. And what does he do? He grabs that guy and wrings his neck and demands that dollar from him. Is that how we respond? God has forgiven us 
everything, are we able to extend some of that forgiveness to others as much as it lies within us? So if we harm someone by our actions or our words and need to seek forgiveness, has someone offended us or harmed us, what will the practice of forgiveness look like so that we don't become stuck in that place of anger and bitterness? Let's pray together. Father, on the one hand, these are amazing words. That if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we throw ourselves on your grace again and again, day in, day out. The grace that you showed us in Jesus, your son, by sending him to the cross. But Father, we confess that sometimes we hold on to grudges or we hold on to that sense of wanting vengeance or restitution in a way that is unhelpful and unhealthy and is actually eating away our soul. Father, help us as much as it lies within us to seek peace with one another, with those even who have offended us, but to do it in a way that's wise, to do it in a way that honors you, to do it in a way that brings health into ourselves and those who have offended us as well. Father, give us wisdom in this. And when it comes down to our everyday weaknesses, we need your help, we need your grace, and in this area, we ask for a double measure of your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.